One Nation Under Pod. Hello, I am Jamie Lynn Crofts, the legal director of the ACLU of West Virginia, and I am here today with my colleague, Eli Bomwell, who is our policy director. Noah, who is our resident Floridian, is luckily safely back home in Miami, and his house is fine, uh, but I gave him a couple of days off to recuperate from hurricane travel and craziness. I'm still here in Charleston with my cats, slightly more famous than I was before I wrote the Bob Murray Brief. And we're working on some episodes about DACA, the Muslim ban, and more. But for today, I just wanted to give everyone an update of what's been going on and what we've been up to here at the ACLU of West Virginia. So Eli, it's good to have you here today. Thanks. Always good to be on. So as you know, we have been pretty busy here, and I just wanted to give everyone an update of what's been going on and what we're up to here at the state level. As you may have seen recently, Donald Trump announced that he would be terminating the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, program in six months. For those who aren't familiar, DACA affects about 800,000 DREAMers, uh, DREAMers being children of immigrants who were brought to the country when they were young, um, but living here without proper documentation. Right, and there are a whole bunch of requirements to even qualify for DACA, and even if you meet all of the qualifications, that still doesn't guarantee your approval. What DACA does is it allows a limited number of people who meet all of these qualifications and who the federal government has approved to be able to live here legally and work or go to school. Eli, can you tell us a little about some of the requirements people have to meet to qualify for DACA? Sure, and I should note that all of these requirements still don't guarantee that you will qualify. These are just the things you have to do to even be eligible for this program. You have to have come to the United States before your 16th birthday. You have to have lived continuously in the United States since June 15th of 2007. You have to have been under the age of 31 on June 15th of 2012. You have to have completed a high school or a GED, or have been honorably discharged from the armed services, or have to be currently enrolled in school. You also have to have had no felony convictions or serious misdemeanors or three or more other misdemeanors and otherwise do not pose any sort of threat to national security or public safety. So DACA is an Obama-era program that has helped, like we said, almost a million people. And if Congress doesn't act in six months, it will leave all of these people in limbo. Something that people need to be aware of is that if you are a DACA recipient and your status expires before March 5th, you can renew your DACA status, but only until October 5th of this year. So if you're a DACA recipient, check now to see when your status expires. And if it expires before March 5th, renew now. If you're in West Virginia, you can actually contact Brittany Young, who's a lawyer with Catholic Charities. Um, she's one of the main people who can help you with this. And we'll have her contact info in the show notes for this episode. Another thing that's really been concerning us are the increased ICE raids and arrests here in West Virginia and around the country. And one thing that it's been important for me to do is teach people about their rights. Interestingly, and this is not the case in most states, but most arrests by ICE in West Virginia are what are called collateral. And basically what this means is ICE raids a restaurant and they ask for Stephanie. 
Stephanie isn't there, so then the ICE agents will walk around and demand to see everyone's papers. And what most people don't know is that they don't have to say anything to those ICE agents. Everyone on U.S. soil has a right to remain silent. You don't have to give up any information about yourself, including your immigration status. So please tell this to as many people as you can, uh, and we are going to put out a Spanish language episode with this information in the future. If you are a DACA recipient, or you're an immigrant, or a child of immigrants, and want to tell your story, also reach out to us. We would love to hear these stories and share them so that people can understand who is actually being affected by these raids and by these policy changes. Exactly. The story of immigration in America is not the ACLU's story, it's your story. And if you want to tell it, please reach out. We'd love to have you on the podcast or do some work with you. I'm going to let Eli talk a little about our next topic, which is these nuisance ordinances which have been proliferating around our state. Eli, can you tell our listeners a little bit about these ordinances and why we're worried about them? Absolutely. So these ordinances started with an ordinance in Martinsburg that was aimed at so-called drug houses. What these ordinances aim to do is take houses where there have been two or more supposed violations of the law, that would be things like illegal drug activity, gambling or prostitution, and force the landlord to take some sort of corrective action. Usually that means evicting the tenants. This is concerning to us for a number of reasons. First of all, most of the ordinances that we've seen crop up since Martinsburg, and that includes in places like Nitro, Huntington, and Parkersburg, among other municipalities, don't require any sort of conviction. They don't even necessarily require an arrest. That means that the mere allegation of illegal activity can be enough to force people to be evicted. Uh, Eli, aren't people in America considered innocent until proven guilty of a crime? That's the way our legal system works. You would expect that people in housing would have at least the same protections. Yeah, but I guess we know from uh, civil asset forfeiture that that is not necessarily the case when it comes to these things, huh? Absolutely. It seems that Americans do not have the same rights for protecting their property as you would like to think. Great. These ordinances are also concerning because they pose a real risk to vulnerable people. Not only are the elderly and minorities more likely to be the victims of these sort of ordinances, Victims of violence are also really at risk with these types of ordinances. What happens is people are afraid to call the police if they think that other activity may be found, whether it's drug activity or anything else, so they'll remain silent and not contact police if they're in an abuse situation. This is very dangerous. I understand that in particular, women who are survivors of domestic violence have been hurt by these types of ordinances around the country. That's exactly correct. Um, the ACLU and other states has actually worked with domestic violence victims where this is exactly what's happened. I'll also point out that these ordinances raise concerns that they could be abused. That is to say, if police have people that they don't like uh, but don't have any reason to arrest them, or if landlords have tenants that they don't like but don't have any reason to evict them, they can use these sort of ordinances by calling the police on unnecessary complaints to trigger this and find pretense to evict people. It also just seems like a bad idea to discourage people from calling 911. Anytime you're going to encourage people not to seek help, we're doing the wrong thing. I was excited to see that uh, the city of Fairmont passed a human rights ordinance. Can you tell a little bit about that? Yeah, so Fairmont just passed an ordinance that expands employment and housing non-discrimination protections to LBGT individuals. 
that's a great step forward in a state. Um, where we've now seen a number of these municipalities pass ordinances like this, uh, the lone exception being Parkersburg. To let our listeners know, uh, the city of Parkersburg recently considered enacting a human rights non-discrimination ordinance that would have protected people from discrimination based on their sexual orientation or gender identity. Unfortunately, after some pretty hateful things were said in the city council chambers, that ordinance failed. This is the lone exception in a trend of municipalities doing what the state refuses to do, which is to ensure that all citizens are protected. And it's also pretty cool if you look into the places that have them because it goes from, you know, our bigger cities, which people would expect, like Charleston and Morgantown, down to Thurmond, which I believe has a population of four people. I, I think our office staff is actually larger than Thurmond. Which is impressive because we don't have a big staff here at the ACLU of West Virginia. <laughs> If you're in West Virginia or outside of West Virginia, you may have seen in the news this week that a student in Clay County was harassed by a school bus driver who was also allegedly an in-uniform sheriff's deputy who called the student a faggot and said something to the effect of, faggots are going to hell, it says so in the Bible. As you can imagine, this is something that I was incredibly disturbed by, uh, as was everyone in our office. And on September 15th, we sent some angry FOIA requests to both the school superintendent and the county sheriff. If you were thinking to yourself that you didn't know FOIA requests could be angry, I actually didn't know that myself until a couple of days ago when I drafted them. Initial news reports indicate that the sheriff's office isn't going to do anything to correct this, but I FOIA'd all of their policies and procedures related to wearing your uniform and diversity initiatives and any types of training that they might give their officers, so it will still be interesting to see what they send us. So I know you're probably looking for an update on John Oliver and Bob Murray. That case is back in state court now, and the plaintiffs have decided not to refile their motion for a temporary restraining order. That was the motion that I filed my infamous, famous? Famous, famous. <laughs> uh, amicus brief regarding. But I am keeping an eye on the case, and I'll let you know if we decide to jump in again. I also recommend checking out the remand order that Judge Bailey wrote in that case, which we'll link in our show notes. It has a great footnote that explains Dr. Evil. Interestingly, Bob Murray also sued the New York Times here in West Virginia. It's a case that's almost as ridiculous. Um, basically, Bob Murray is mad about an editorial that he thinks is critical of Cole and President Trump and himself. Um, unfortunately, Cole is not a named plaintiff in the case, but I'm holding out hope that maybe they'll try to intervene in the future. The motion to dismiss this case was actually recently denied, and what this does is it helps people like Bob Murray, who continue to abuse our court system with these ridiculous cases. We'll link the New York Times editorial that is the subject of this lawsuit in the show notes. Take a look at the editorial and please let me know if you can find anything in there that could possibly be defamatory when it's discussing a public figure and a public company. And finally, I'm very happy to announce that the charges against Dan Hyman have been dropped. If you haven't listened to the first episode of Civil Fights, please go back and take a listen now. We talked to Dan himself, I chatted with Eli, and we also talked to Jean Polisinski at the museum about why it's important not to criminally prosecute journalists for doing their job. 
The prosecutor said that while this may have been aggressive journalism, it was not unlawful and did not violate the law with which he was charged. Right, and that law you might remember was willfully disrupting a state governmental process or meeting. And as we discussed in that first episode, not only did Dan not actually violate that particular law, any prosecution of him clearly would have violated the First Amendment. We'll be keeping an eye on all of this and more, but in the meantime, you still have a constitutional right to tell Bob to eat shit. Eli, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Is there anything else you want to uh, talk to our audience about? I'll remind our audience to pay attention to ACLU West Virginia events, particularly our citizen activists tra activist trainings. We've got another one coming up October 12th in the Bluefield area. If you're down there, we'd love to see you come out. And even if you're not in the area, we post videos of all of these trainings on our Facebook page. So please check them out. You can also find the ACLU of West Virginia at ACLUWV.org, on Facebook at American Civil Liberties Union of West Virginia. And yes, you do have to spell it out like that to find us on Facebook. On Twitter, we're at ACLU underscore WV. And I hear that someone who's really cool and funny runs that Twitter account. If you're looking to contact Civil Fights, you can find us on Twitter at Civil Fights Pod. You can find me at Jamie Lynn Crofts for cat pictures and profane rants, which do not represent the views of the ACLU of West Virginia. I also made Noah get a Twitter account, so you can find him at Noah Brzezinski. And Eli, I think you're on Twitter too, aren't you? I am on Twitter. <laughs> and I'm on Twitter at Eli ACLUWV. Thank you to Brian Dezeal and Pat Gilroy for doing our sound editing and mastering. Titans of Punk, which is Pat Gilroy and Jeremy Galanis for our amazing original music. Tim and Molly for always handling posting the blog that I write accompanying these shows. Sexist on the internet for providing me with a lot of entertainment during this difficult work week. And my cats for mostly being quiet while I'm trying to record. Please check out our past episodes and rate us on iTunes if you haven't yet, and we'll talk to you soon. Civil fights! fights.